0: Jeremiah, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. It's always helpful in reading the words of the prophets to have some sense of the context in which they're speaking, in which things are being written down. Jeremiah you might have in mind is in that, that time of the Babylonian exile people, well, it's the people of Judah, kind of the end of the line for them. We've had the generations of the divided kingdom, and those in Israel, it's now a few generations since they were taken out of the land. And there's a reference in our reading to things that will be set in Samaria. Well, Samaria was the center for Israel, Jerusalem for the people of Judah. Judah is that line of David. Lots of faithful kings along the line, but the sins fall on their heads as well, and the consequences are are very similar. That separate kingdom of Israel was removed completely from the land, but then the people scattered. And in further prophecies, we'll hear about the scattered ones being gathered back in. Judah is the remnant of that people within the land, but they will be cut down further as they're carried off into exile. You might have in mind as well that the exile has kind of the two waves to it In going out. Daniel and his friends are that that first part where where Babylon is kind of skimming off the cream, off the top. They're looking for those who would be suitable for the royal court, those that could be trained up accordingly. But then there will be the masses who go and many more of the people. Some stay in the land, and Jeremiah is one of them. And his lamentations are his looking over Jerusalem, his grieving over the people, sharing the Lord's heart for for those who are so devastated, knowing they've brought it on their own heads, and yet being in agony over what they're suffering, still confident that the Lord is true to his promises. The section we have of Jeremiah here is one where we're hearing about some of those promises of God of the return that will be there for them. Although it's really important that we notice I was thinking even as we were singing our hymn. You know, we think of the comfort that the Lord brings, but if you listen with care to the words that we're singing, well, you know, he he comforts a, a broken heart when it's been broken, he He gives us rest when we've been wearied on the way, not just that we've had a rough day at work, but when we're following in the way of the cross, when we are beaten and battered, that he offers a rest that we really need and a soul-refreshing rest, that so many of the promises we see in Christ are ones that we have to, in that sense, win through to. That is, that he gives them to us, but that we don't simply... Receive them as we sit in our seats, but as we go on the way. And it's often a costly way that gets us there. And so when you hear the prophecy that's unfolding, you know, those who are coming in, well, some of them are struggling and they're suffering on the way. I'll bring them from the north country, gather them from the coasts of the earth with the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child, a great company together, they will come with weeping. With supplications, I will lead them. But it is a promise. It's a promise of bringing them home. It's um, a reminder that this is God's intention all along. Jeremiah was given a prophetic word as the people were being carried off, a word that it was to be a 70-year exile. So Jeremiah 29, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. And if you are reading the story in Second Chronicles and you get to the end of that book, to fulfill the word of the Lord of, by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years." speaking now of the return that is prophesied, but the interesting word in there about things that God is doing. It's a time of pruning. It's a time of refinement. It's a time of them bearing the consequences of their sin, but it's not intended to be the destruction of the people. It's a time for them to be cleansed, for a remnant to, as I say, be refined, to be brought home. But, Another part of the story is that they're being removed from the land while the land enjoys the Sabbaths of which it's been deprived. If you go back through the law, the whole business of Sabbath, you come to understand, is bound up very much with fruitfulness. Fruitfulness for the people. It's a physical fruitfulness for the land. It's a spiritual fruitfulness for them. Now, this whole business of rotation of crops and things that is to take place, the seven-year kind of round, letting places lie fallow. It's a gift. Well, you read of things with the Sabbaths of the land. When the land is lying fallow, they leave it, and what grows up, they're not even to go and harvest themselves. That's for the, the poor in the land. That's for the ones who really need it. As they're being taken out, God is doing a, a cleansing work. He's doing a healing work. He's refining a remnant and bringing them home. Well, 70 years, you can say, well, there's a good promise at the end of that, but of course it's 70 years. To go through two years where there was all kinds of separation of people and more than two years, but but things locked down and whatever. In the heart of all of that, it's long and it's difficult. And one wonders what the Lord is doing. But His promise, His promise of His care for His people. We get the language of His everlasting love and His loving kindness. That word loving kindness, chesed in the Hebrew, is a wonderfully important word in biblical theology and God's relation with His people. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love, sometimes mercy. Psalm 136 is worth going through as a whole psalm. It's always got the refrain line of His mercy endureth forever, if you're reading in the prayer book. But it comes every line, and it's worth hearing that, even though it sounds repetitious. It's good to get it in your ear. It's good to get it into your heart, to be reminded that that's what God is saying over and over to His people, that my mercy, my steadfast love, my care for you is an everlasting love, and it does endure speaks of the people coming back and there's the language of them being brought to Zion. And with Zion, there's always going to be the connection. We get it in in various Psalms of the connection with the house of the Lord, being in the place where they know the center of his heart is. It was the city of the great king. It's It's the seat of the temple. This is the place where we come home to the Lord, we might say to the house of the Lord. And he speaks of bringing them now as a shepherd, doth his sheep. Hear the word of the Lord, all ye nations, to declare it in the isles afar off and say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Reminder again that sin has consequences and that God will comfort his people, but... There is suffering that they have to endure so that their hearts would be formed and returned to him. Promises in this first part of Jeremiah 31, but you might have in mind what opens up at verse 14, which is just beyond our reading tonight. And it's the words, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. It's Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because there are no more. And I'm not sure if I'm quoting you as it is in Jeremiah here or as it is quoted in Matthew 2, or maybe it's none of the above. Uh, Even after the promises of God comes the deep weeping. And it's the real broken heart weeping that is there in Rachel. And some of you know, I've heard me talk about this one before that, you know, Rachel is long gone at this point in the story. But her tomb was on the way to Bethlehem after and stands to this day or the claims of those who maintain the site, uh, Rachel's tomb, when they were being taken out. So now it's not that first wave of exile. This is the masses being carried out. The people in great numbers are being carried out of Israel, out of out of Jerusalem. They're being carried on to Babylon, and they pass by way of Rachel's tomb. That's the image that Jeremiah has in mind. Rachel weeping over her children. She's matriarch of the people. Well, she and, and Leah. But weeping for people because they are no more. Well... You know, if you go on in that passage that the immediate rejoinder through the prophet is to say, don't weep. God says, don't weep, because this isn't the end. This isn't the destruction. They're not lost. They are going to return and there will be that rejoicing promised. It goes on, in fact, to speak about the new covenant that will be established. Unlike the old ones, this is the one where the Lord's going to put his law on their hearts. But there is this heart broken weeping. Well, where do we hear about that? I already mentioned things come up in Matthew chapter 2. But when? Well, it's at the slaughter of the innocents. It's at a time when people really need to hear the word of God's hope. But it's a word that, like I was saying with the hymn and context, it's a comfort that comes not until the hearts are broken, not until there's that devastation and and they need the Lord and they have nothing else. I mean, the mother's weeping over their children, but we know that it's a word that speaks about what God is doing in Christ. And that's essential. It's also, I was thinking this morning about St. John Henry Newman's reflections on the Stations of the Cross. And of course, as we go through the Stations of the Cross... We hear those words again, but now we're hearing them in the context of the Blessed Virgin's own weeping, her own devastation, her own brokenness over her son being taken and battered and beaten and held up on the cross. We are to connect. We've got in one sense, we've got, some would say, an arbitrary choice that we've got this Jeremiah reading and and John set side by each for tonight. It's just, one of those lectionaries and what guides that, Jesus, risen from the dead, opened up the Scriptures, showed again and again and again how these things that were set out were words about him, were being fulfilled in him, about his suffering, his death, his resurrection on the third day. So much of his very character revealed in the Old Testament stories. He says to his disciples on the night, as we just read, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, what do you see of the Father? Well, one of the things is that loving kindness, that steadfast love, that merciful heart of God that walks this way with his people, who brings them back. And Jesus reminds us that the images of the Lord restoring his people, gathering them in, is not at this point simply that I will send out my vassals, I'll send out my messengers to gather them in, but I will gather them. If you think of prophecies of Ezekiel, a priest and prophet in exile, he sees the Lord as the shepherd who speaks about his unfaithful shepherds who says, I myself will shepherd my people. And so we think about The images that are there of the one who will bring them by the way home. Who will bring them from their dispersion, from their scattering, will bring them home. Well, where is he bringing them? He's bringing them to Zion. And Zion, again, as I was saying, is for for Israel, that's the heart of God's people. It's the heart of their Lord himself. It's the place they come to worship. It's the place they know his presence. It represents for them, well, the center of the earth, the place where they're really to be grounded, to be founded. He will bring them as, as a shepherd. In Jesus, the revelation of the Father's heart His love for his people by which they are ransomed, ransomed ransom from that which they could not overcome, uh, an enemy, a foe that was too great for them, a ransoming by grace. And He is the way that brings them home. He is the one who brings them home. What's pointed to in these figures through the prophet Jeremiah of the Lord's care for His people and gathering them up and bringing them in, Jesus is saying, is all fulfilled in Me. We don't know where we're going, Lord. We don't know where You're going. We don't know how to get there. How can we know the way? I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But of course, again, in all of that, the way that he leads is the way of the cross. It's the way of the loss of all the things that we held on to in this world. As Israel goes out, it's, it's one of those stunning things. Their, their devastation isn't just that they're losing the things that they had, but all of the things the Lord has given them. They're losing Jerusalem. They're losing the temple. They're losing the place of worship and the daily sacrifice. They're losing all the things that they were holding on to even to bring them to God, to keep them in touch with Him. But His calling will be, even in that place of exile, to hold to Him fast alone. Actually, every year, going through and thinking a bit about the exile, we, we come to some of the, the exil- exilic psalms, Particularly Psalm one thirty seven, where there's the urging to sing us, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And the response, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And the answer I point people to is in Psalm one. In Psalm one, well, it points us first to Christ, points us to what Daniel and his friends know in that place. It's the way of the righteous man who trusts in the Lord alone, who is like the the tree planted by the living waters, who is not trusting in anything else first but in the Lord. The Lord gives us gifts, but you know, time and again, He takes away things, even that have been important things to us, when they come between us in Him, rather than being something that enables us in our walk. Sometimes things that are really precious to us, and we think we're precious to him, yet are removed. But the remove removed not because he wants to punish us, not because he wants to take us out of the way, but because he wants us to hold first fast to him. Jesus spoke about the coming of the Spirit and said that if he didn't go away, the Spirit would not come. But if he went, he would send him to us. His going away first in the way of the cross, then in the way of His ascension. Going to prepare a place, but the way to the place is Christ Himself. The way to the place is the way that He has gone before that He goes with us. And it's always the way first of the cross, but it's the way of the resurrection. It's the way of life lifted up. It's the way of the fullness of life with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We only receive the fullness of His Spirit as we follow in that way, not only after Jesus, but in and through Him. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me.